Hello and welcome to this episode of the Independent Dealer Podcast. We have a real treat for you. This is an interview I did with Mark Wyda when we were both at Digital Dealer 2019 down in Las Vegas. I was able to pull him aside and ask him some questions about his lifetime in the auto industry. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast, the podcast for auto dealers to learn and grow together. Here are your hosts, Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson. All right, guys, here we are sitting down at Digital Dealer 2019. I grabbed Mark, pulled him away for a, a, a little conversation. Mark Wyda out of Colorado Springs. Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself, your dealership, uh, you know, maybe kind of your sales goals and are you buy here, pay here, are you a retail dealer, a little bit of your background. Uh, been in the car business for about 34 years. Um, self-employed for about the last 12. Um, Currently, I have uh, all retail, two stores, uh, two different rooftops, and I also have a service department. Awesome, awesome. So you, you, got, you got a lot going on there in Colorado Springs, it sounds like. Yeah, it's a good used car town. There's a lot of military, so we um, felt like I felt like it was a good opportunity when I uh, started out doing wholesale after I left running big retail stores. And uh, after four years, opened the first retail store. And it's uh, it's been good because we have a, a constant transition of new new military coming in so there's a lot of used cars sold in Colorado Springs ah and now side note I want to go down this route real quick do you is it hard to get funding you know is that an issue I know that funding military has been kind of touch and go and there's ancillary products you can't sell or can sell is that am I accurate in that yeah we're still working on the on the ancillary products especially at the uh, NIADA level trying to get to get the Congress to, to look at that and realize that they're doing the, the military an injustice by not allowing them to buy gap insurance, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, overall, though, um, it's it's a very um, very military-friendly town. So the credit unions are very open to mm. it, and uh, we have an outstanding relationship with the major credit unions in town. Um, the majority of our business, finance-wise, is done with credit unions. We have probably about 20% special finance. We do not do any buy here, pay here. It's, yeah, yeah. it's all retail. I bet, I, I mean, I guess I can imagine from a bank standpoint, a military member, I mean, that's a pretty stable income. You know, they're definitely getting a check, barring a government shutdown, but they're, they're probably getting a pretty regular check, so I imagine the credit unions, you know, enjoy that as a, as a customer. Um, more so about you, though, Mark. So, tell me this. Your background is new car store, correct? Correct. You managed for many, many years. What, what made you take the leap from being a manager at a... At a Probably a pretty cushy job. I don't know. I bet you were working hard, right? Yeah, I was, yeah, definitely working hard. I was making somebody else rich. Okay, talk to me about that. What made you make that leap? Actually, it was um, around 2005. I was fairly miserable because uh, it seemed like no matter what we did, it was not good enough. Um, if you had a good month, well, what have you done for me lately? What are you going to do this month? And and the, the hours that I was working, I was missing time with my daughters. Um, I'm uh, married and have two. Uh, beautiful daughters they're 16 and 20 now mm-hmm. but they were young at the time and uh, wasn't able to spend time with them as much as I'd like and I, I didn't want to miss dance recitals swim meets um, cheerleading competitions everything that they were into so uh, I got I was really just burned out and so what I started doing in 2007 I started wholesaling um, I had a guy that approached me and said hey I have a line of credit we're not using um, if you want to start wholesaling for a while until you find a job. And at the time, I was submitting applications to other companies. I was convinced I was going to stay in big store retail. Yeah. Uh, started wholesaling in 2007. Um, made a 
adequate living my first year doing it, wholesaling under somebody else's license. Uh, did it again for a couple more years under another guy's license, and then uh, finally uh, decided I was going to do my own thing because both those companies uh, ended up cheating me out of money. <laughs> so I thought, well, if I work for myself, then I would. I, I, nobody's going to cheat me if I'm cheating myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, yeah but you uh, trust one person. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So wholesale for about four years um, and opened up the first store and. Um, in 2011. Okay. Okay, 2011, so you've been at a solid nine years or so, eight, eight nine years mm -hmm. as a retail dealer. What would you say has been, what's been the hardest part about being out on your own like that? I mean, anything that sticks out to you is maybe being a hurdle that you feel like maybe you didn't anticipate or maybe jumped out at you, but you, you've been able to navigate? Probably in Colorado, um, Recently, it's been the expenses we can't control. When I, uh, for example, we've had so much hail damage over the last eight years since I started. My premiums for uh, for inventory, for insurance, for garage liability, the premiums have quadrupled. It wow. used to cost me a little over twenty thousand dollars a year, and my deductibles were twelve fifty. Now I pay a hundred thousand dollars a year, and my deductibles are twenty five hundred per car. So there's certain expenses we can't control. You know, kind of like floor plan expense, you pay what they charge you. Yeah. Um, insurance premiums, you pay what they charge you. Wow. Um, and uh, But the ups and downs of the economy have not been that bad. Mm -hmm. um, the, the biggest problem really, though, has been personnel. Just okay. just, just getting in and keeping really good guys. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really great, great thing to touch on because I know you've been on both sides where you've been the number one at a new car store, you know, the go-to guy that was kind of getting the pressure from the dealer principal to perform or deliver, whatever the situation was. Now, ha has that been able to translate to your current situation where you've got a GSM or a, a GM running the store? Now that you're on the flip side of that, do you feel more compassionate towards them? You know, do you feel like you understand where they're at? Or what have you done to kind of keep from having that kind of turnover or burnout in your managers? Well, I think I worked for enough, both good and bad owners and general managers over the years that I developed my management strategy based on that. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes bad examples will teach you how not to manage people. Yeah. So I try to be a little more sympathetic. In fact, I'm in some ways, some may, maybe a little bit too much so. I insist that uh, my managers and actually all my employees take time off if they have a family event. Mm -hmm. um, I insist that they take their days off. I insist that they take their vacations. Um, because I, I want it to be an atmosphere unlike the big corporate stores where it's you know, 70 hours a week and it's a, it's a thankless position. You might make a lot of money doing it, but you have no life. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said, I mean, when I walked away and I was able to spend time with my daughters, I was able to have dinner with them most nights, but I was always there to, uh, to tuck them in and, and, and read to them, say prayers with them, and that I was missing that when I was working, you know, at a new car store till 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always, I, and that's a theme that I've had and I struggle with too is, is I have a hard time asking my guys to do something that I'm not willing to do. You know, and, and I know as the owner that's my quote unquote right to take the holiday off but ask everyone else to work. But that is something I continually struggle with where, yeah, I, I don't want to be there till 8 o'clock every night, you know. But... You know, I ask that of my people. Right. You know, so so tell me this, Mark. What what kind of advice would you give to those of us that are maybe starting out new in the industry, or maybe struggling? Maybe we're a ten car type store, and we're wanting to grow to your size, where we're doing eighty to hundred a month. What 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 
what really pushed you over that ledge or what really changed for you as you grew from being a wholesaler and doing kind of your own thing to now, you know, having two stores, doing close to 100 cars a month? What, what got you there? I think the most difficult part of it, and but I, I, the discipline is what got me there, was being patient. Too often I see that people start their own venture and then they try to grow too fast. And the number one reason I see that, that car dealerships, independent car dealerships go under is not even about profitability, it's usually about cash flow. Mm. And people just overstep their bounds. I had a friend in Colorado Springs that did it and he, he went out and leased this huge facility and he put a bunch of cars out there and had a, a high powered, high, high paid manager and high paid uh, service manager and he had all these, his expenses were just overwhelmingly high because he wanted to be an 80 to 100 car guy. Um, and he made it all of about 18 months till he ran out of money and then he went under. So um, lost his life savings and now he's back working for AutoNation again as a general sales manager. So back right exactly where he started. I knew when I went down this road, I didn't want to go back. Um, I mean, it's, it's gratifying to know in the car business you can always get a job. I mean, I could, if I wanted to, I could go back tomorrow and work for a new car franchise store and take yeah. care of my family. But what I did is I made sure that I held back, didn't grow too fast, uh, for example, my property, when I, when I bought it, it needed some renovation. We had no lot lights, only half the lot was concreted. I saved up money, I paid cash for the improvements. I did it little by little instead of going out and borrowing a bunch of money and, you know, and doubling the value of the property and, and mortgaging myself up to the hilt, I made sure that I paid as I went. And, um, and like, it took me six years before I considered adding a second store. It took me five and a half years before I considered adding a service department. Yeah. Uh, because I paid, when I opened the service department, I paid cash for all the tire machines and the lifts and everything else. And, and I started out, I didn't have a lot of money when I started. I was, started out with some money that I borrowed from my father. Yeah. Um, and, and it's important to me now to be, the, the cash flow is not an issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, you're a car guy. I think that's safe to say. You know, sounds like you've, you've come through it, but but I think from talking to you, you're also a business guy. You know, I think you understand that side of it. Of you know, you can't just manage off the front line of your lot and what cars you got there and what cars you think you can sell. You you got to run your dealership from the balance sheet and the P and L statement and the statement of cash flows to know what you've got and where you're going. You know, and what you can do next month, like your friend there that. Just, just want, knew he wanted to sell 50 or 80 cars or 100 cars a month. Didn't know what it was going to take to get there, though. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I've had several different uh, guys that thought, hey, it'd be fun to be a car dealer and what's involved. And, and I sat down with them and made them work up a business plan or a performa and, and, and looked at the cash that would be involved. Uh, you know, a lot of things people don't, don't think about. It's like when you, when you, when you take in trade-ins, you know, you take in a... A car that you know, somebody trades in a $20,000 truck and they owe $27,000 on it, you take it in and you send the $27,000 to the bank and you might not get a title for three or four weeks. So that $27,000 is tied up. Mm -hmm. But you can't do that when you open with 100 grand in the bank. And then mm -hmm. I see too many people open undercapitalized. Yeah. And then, and then un unrealistic expectations too. It's like, well, you know, my expenses are going to be you know, $45,000 a month for fixed expenses and, and I'm going to sell 50 cars. Well, 
you're not going to make any money doing that, you know, mm-hmm. because you know you got personnel expenses and, and other things that are on top of that. And I think a lot of that is what most people don't do is they don't look at it as a business proposition. They think, boy, it's going to be really fun because I'm a I'm a car guy or I'm a motorhead or whatever yeah. passion they have for the automobile industry, and they think it's going to be really fun. And uh, I just. I, I try and advise people as often as I can when they ask. I don't, you know, volunteer yeah. the advice, but if they ask me, I'll tell them what they're up against to make sure that they don't make the same mistakes I've seen too many other people make. Yeah, yeah. Be fifty percent a car guy and fifty percent a business guy. Right? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Make yep. sure you're balancing the two, uh, or find someone that balances you. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. that could be another solution for yeah. these guys. Hey, I, you love cars. You understand them. You get it. Find a guy that understands the numbers, or hire someone, or partner with someone that understands that side of it. Any other advice you'd have for us as dealers looking to grow, you know, outside of that? And I mean, situations you've ran into or, or uh, things that really move the needle for you and your dealership? One of the things that seemed to make a big difference for us is when uh, when we got heavily involved in the community. Mm. Um, I just personally, my, my thoughts are it's a moral responsibility if you do well that you get back to your community. Mm-hmm. As a businessman, I don't know why you wouldn't want to be involved in your community. It just makes you more visible anyway. Yeah. Um, so we, we got involved with several uh, charities in town and we do volunteer work and, and we uh, support certain causes and that helped us a lot um, because people share that stuff on social media and when people start understanding that, that car guys are, I mean, can be good people too, um, I think that that erases some of that stigma that we're just uh, that we're just all bad people because you know sleazy car guys and you know we don't the majority of us are not that way uh, the majority of us are good people that are just very appreciative of what we have and we like giving back to the community and we want to do what's right we want to do business the right way and as as I stayed more involved in the community and erased that stigma. I got more and more referrals, more and more people were coming to me and referring customers to me. Mm-hmm. When that happens, as you know, your advertising expenses are, stay in check and uh, you can you can offer you know better cars at, at, at more reasonable prices and still make a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, being, being good in, in your community reminds me of that saying that I see circle the internet or at least in the forum group about, you know, where they say something about buy local because Amazon won't sponsor your kid's softball team. Absolutely. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's that saying, and, and I don't think I really put that together of like, you know, you're right. You know, as, as, as independent dealers, we have that opportunity to be in the, invi- in the community, to be an example, not only to buck the, the stigma that all used car dealers are crummy and, and want to cheat you, but we have that unique opportunity to be involved in those things, you know, the local sports and activities and whatever else we can sponsor. Um, any, anything else for us, Mark? I really appreciate your time here. It's been great. I mean, it's been fun getting to know you here at uh, Digital Dealer. I think we've learned some good stuff here, haven't we? No, absolutely. Yeah, been it's, it's a been a good breakout sessions and met some good mm-hmm. vendors. It's been a good conference. This I think is my fifth year out here doing this, and uh-huh. I and I recommend it. Uh, hey, I was... Give me your number one takeaway from this convention. I really want to know that. What do you think you're going to take home to your dealership from being here? Uh, wow. Um, there's so much that's been thrown at us. Um, probably, if you're not looking at at a digital retailing platform on your mm-hmm. website, you probably need to. Okay, yeah. um, and I've investigated it thoroughly. There, I don't know that many dealers will actually sell a whole lot of cars doing that, but what it is is it takes a customer from involvement to actually engagement by keeping them on your site longer, yeah. um, and then you'll have a more serious lead. If they'll stay there to, for you know five minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes, filling out 
the forms that's necessary to buy the car, you definitely know that you have a, have a some of this very interest at a captive buyer at that point. So yeah, that is true. I I, we, I I would definitely say that as far as that environment goes of digital retailing, and and by that we mean the customer can select the car, they can submit their applications, they can mess around with their payments, their terms, they can add back end products on their own, and mm -hmm. essentially basically close themselves, right? I mean, they're, they're selecting the car. They're the salesman. They're the F&I guy. And I've seen some of these products where they can actually all but sign the contracts Absolutely. right there. You yeah. know? Um, it, it, uh, it, it's it's going to take a little while until that's probably the norm or more thoroughly adopted. But like you said, by, by being an early guy to the game, you at least give them that option. And there may be some guys that go the full path and some people you sell that go the full way. But if nothing else... You know if someone's going to play around with the numbers and use your, you know, your your little widget that's plugged into your website, they're going down that sales funnel pretty far. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Like I said, even if they bail about halfway through the process, and and you can, you know, email them back, you can call them back, and you can get them back in to do it traditionally if you want. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we've ever reached the point to where the, the Carvanas of the world are going to take over. I think there's a lot of people that still want to be involved with the people. They want yeah. to know who they're dealing with. They want to actually look, smell, touch, drive the car before they buy it. Yeah. Um, it's a little different than new cars. I mean, no two used cars are the same. Yeah, so, yeah. But why not give them the opportunity for both, right? Exactly. Then you're capturing both. You're capturing both customers. The ones that want to come in and see you, and the ones that don't want to see you. They just want to buy it all online and show up and take delivery. Yeah, and there's a lot you of know? people, and, and time is of the essence. I mean, there's people like they like the transparency. They like the the ease of being able to do it all themselves. Feel like they're in control. They selected the car themselves. They want to select the products themselves. They want to just select the delivery. I mean, we in fact we were just talking the other day. We've sold two cars this year to people in New Hampshire. From, wow. from Colorado. I mean, yeah. they just found the car they liked and they wanted us to sh buy it and they ship it to them. Yeah. And, uh, and we just shipped them the car. Yeah. I mean, and you know, we sell cars sometimes to, to neighboring states where people fly in, yeah. spend the weekend in Colorado Springs and drive the car back. So. And your ease of buying and your reputation online makes that a pretty easy transaction for people. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna see that your website or that your interaction is easy. There's not a lot of friction points. They can get it all done and then they see that you've got a reputation to back it up, I mean, that makes for a pretty easy sale as a consumer. It you know, does, because... You're stand behind them. Yeah, as, as most of us know, I mean, uh, the, the general public doesn't trust car dealers much anyway, mm -hmm. so when they can look online and see, for an our example, in our case, on Google reviews, we're 4.8 out of 5 stars, 700 reviews, something like that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just... It's healthy right now. And people feel yeah. like, okay, well... I can probably trust this guy because that many people are saying that they're okay. Yeah. It makes it a little easier. We've had customers tell us that. I, yep. I shipped a Corvette to Florida and the guy said, I didn't have anything to worry about because I read your reviews online and when I talked to you on the phone, I knew you were dealing, I was dealing with a good guy. So mm -hmm. he wired me the money, sight unseen, shipped him the car, as pleased as could be. Yeah, that's probably a whole other topic, those Google reviews, but if you're running in the five to 800 reviews right now, I would say you're probably a pretty strong contender you guys look like you focused on that quite a bit to get to where you are um from from what i've seen and, and i'm sure in five years we're going to be talking and you've got to have a minimum of 2,000 reviews to even be considered a reputable dealer but uh you know as that as those continue to go down that path but um mark appreciate your time man it's really, been fun this has been great no i appreciate you having me uh sit down and talk to you for a little bit
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Independent Dealer Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And remember, leave us a review, share this with your friends, pass it on so we can all learn and grow together. Thank you.